0: Hello everyone, welcome to From Nor to Nothing, ontological oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnor to nothing podcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. Last week, we looked at the life and works of Michel de Montaigne. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, We suggest you go back and check it out since it is the first of a four-part series. We continue our discussion by examining a philosopher influenced by Montaigne. However, we'll see that influence can come in a variety of ways, some of which are challenging to the initial position. Today, we're considering the incandescent life of Blaise Pascal. Well, that was was poetically said, the the incandescent life. Yeah, So. so, We've talked about um, uh, the the book that sort of inspired this this little mini series that we're doing. Why we are restless, and uh, that that's that's the phrase they used to describe Pascal in the book as incandescent. And I think it's a really a really apt sort of description. Um, so why why don't you sort of explain that to us by giving us a brief biography of, of oh, Pascal? Right. So th- this is a man who
1: whose life burned like a comet. Some writers say that the, 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 the writers of the book you just mentioned that we've been reading, I'll say that very, very nicely. Others have said that about him. In, in fact, uh, uh, T.S. Eliot, the uh, famous poet um, and editor publisher of the nineteen of twenties and thirties he wrote a preface to. Pascal's book, Pensée, Thoughts, and uh, to the English translation, he he mentioned that commentary thing. So he lived thirty nine years old, Hmm. you know. And 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 if you, you, sometimes it's easy just to say that and glibly toss it off. But but I think about that a lot. I'm sixty five. All the life that I've had between thirty nine and sixty five has been probably the, the most important part of my life. And that, that doesn't have to be true for everybody, but just the, the perspective
0: of how it would have been. Yeah, that's very interesting, right? Because I it's the same thing with me, you know, when they said that I go, oh, wow, so that would mean I would have four years left to live, right? And I've talked about on the show before how it seems to me like I've lived a, a really long time, mm-hmm. right? It seems like I've done a lot of things. And um, if I were to die tomorrow, said so, you know, 35, much less 39. I feel like I lived a a good long life. You know, I don't have a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of regrets. And you never say none because I think if you have no regrets, you haven't reflected you on have, your life. Yeah, I agreed. Yes, but yes. but very few. You know, I think that I've I've had a good life. But you you think about it, these different perspectives, and it, and it it really gives a different meaning to to life. Because I think that you're right. I haven't been there yet, but to me, it seems as though. I can feel my life building to something m- greater and more important than it has ever been at any point thus far. And I think that those middle years are some of that time. So, to not have that um, and still accomplish the things that Pascal did is really um, remarkable, but it makes you wonder, what what would have the, the remainder of that life what have been What else might like? have come? Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. So, so here's, here's someone who was – uh, as you, a polymath, uh, uh, someone who was entirely, well, essentially entirely schooled by his father or um, set up, so to speak, well by his father, um, a pro- prodigy, did prodigious work. He's 16 years old and he's changing geometry.
0: Hmm.
1: He's changing mathematics at age 16 uh, and and probability theory. What were you doing when you were sixteen? One asked one <laughs> <laughs> and it's a reasonable question because I think sometimes, well, all of our circumstances are different, but sometimes we don't we don't necessarily
0: expect as much of ourselves as maybe we we could. This is a conversation that that me and Amanda have had recently, um, talking about kids, right? Because I think I don't know if it's our day and age or if it's our actual age, right? But we don't have any kids, and so. When we look at other people's kids, uh, you you tend to be struck by one of two opinions, right? You either say, "Oh wow, like I can't believe they're letting that kid do that at that age," or, "Oh, I can't believe that that kid is acting that, still acting that way at that age," right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's this expectation of what children are capable of, given certain developmental milestones and context. Yes, and and I so they- and there is. You know, science behind that right myelination of your brain, which is, you know, the thing that helps you make connections and 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 think in a e- efficient way doesn't conclude until your mid 20s. So there, there's an argument for saying, we need a graduated way of, of letting people develop throughout their early lifespan and, and, and not giving them responsibilities that they can't handle until they're old enough. But then there's also Um, plenty of anecdotal, um, examples of, of children being capable of remarkable things at very young ages. You know, I think of, um, I have a friend who, you know, he, he lives off the grid and, you know, he homeschools his kids and they have a, you know, almost self-sustaining type, um, farm and lifestyle. And you go over there and you just see the kids acting like small adults, right? And down where I have my 60 acres of property, there's a lot of Amish people And you see the little Amish boys dressed just like clones of their fathers, and and doing the same the same work, and and you know having you can have reasonable conversations with with some of these kids, and then you you talk with kids of the same age in a different context, and it's it's completely different, right? So I think that yes, it is context dependent, it is age dependent, but I think by and large in modernity we don't. we don't give children enough um, ability to to grow and, and do the things that they are capable of doing.
1: No, we fill the we fill up. Well, this is how oh, boy, we start talking about Pascal's biography. <laughs> we 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 fill their lives with mundanities when they are ready to explore the universe. Yeah, and we and we. The, and not everyone and and it, it, i'm not talking about an uh, every uh, an overgeneralization of every single person cuz not cuz there's obviously families that don't but
0: t <laughs> uh, it it just it feels that way sometimes yeah uh, yeah i'll make one more comment then we can get back on to uh, pascal the, the friend i was just mentioning right i was talking to him about this same thing and um you know we're specifically talking about how you'll see parents a lot you know, get annoyed by their kids asking questions and, and, and just tell them because I said so, or because, or, you know, Ooh. stop asking so many questions. And so, you know, what, what my, in how kids come to abhor school, you know, and he said, yeah, it's just a complete failure of the educational system because children are born curious and hungry for knowledge. You have to snuff that out of them, you know, in order for them to lose that. And so, it's interesting to look at Pascal because Pascal's life is almost the opposite of that, right? In the book that we read, they talk about how Pascal's father was so worried about the voracious interest that Pascal had. But he sat on it. Yeah, that he actually tried to withhold mathematics from him so that he would be able to learn about different things and not become consumed with his interest in and mathematics. Pascal and, and, and ended up… ended up doing math
1: that he shouldn't have been able to do anyway, and then his father relented and said, okay, then I better guide you. Yeah. Right, right. So when your friend says educational system, we've talked about this before, but I I just think it it ties together a number of things. Educational system means must be also the net that involves parents and Mm -hmm. how parents are with their children. Yeah. It's not. It's just the system. It's the parents that either encourage questions or don't encourage questions. And I can tell you as a grandfather, that makes all the difference. Yeah, yes, yes. If, if a kid asks a question, you answer the question the best you can and say, I don't know, let's look it up.
0: Yeah. That's, that just is an amazing kindling for them. And that's what I've told people on a couple of podcasts that I've been a guest on recently is, you know, they've asked, well, how did you, be, how did you learn to do so many things? How do you become interested in so many things? And I tell them, my mom, right? Because my mom... Um, developed a mindset in me that learning doesn't just happen at school, right? If you go to a museum and you say to a kid, wow, look at these dinosaur bones. Isn't that crazy? Before you know it, the kid will be reading every placard in the museum. It'll be, And then that's education. That's a lifelong self-sustaining interest in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. It's not we can't put all of the onus on what teachers are doing in school. No, right? No, not at all. No. Okay. So we've we've interrupted ourselves. <laughs> the, the biography <laughs> of Pascal. But that, but that's.
1: I think that just points to how interesting Pascal is. however yeah. We are about his position, all right? So he's he's revolutionizing geometry in a sense when, when he's sixteen, and and then he he, uh, he he writes letters with a major scientist, Fermat. And and uh, and so he's helping Fermat develop probability theory. This is in the 1600s, and uh, which then changes the, the the trajectory of social what we come to know as social sciences and and
0: economics. Yeah, and that's before he's twenty. So, yes. And and the impetus behind that was mostly to influenced by gambling <laughs> trying to figure out okay well if you're if you're gambling and you want to figure out how to split your winnings before the game's concluded uh how do you do it based on the position that the players are in in the game so that was that was the, the impetus for it but it ended up having these cascading effects on science in the future mm-hmm.
1: and then he's an inventor mm-hmm. and so before before his 20s he invents calculators to help his his dad try to figure out taxes. <laughs> that, 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 that's right, and it was called Pascal's calculator, and then and then Pascalines, mm. and uh, I don't know eight, ten, whatever. There, there's still some working ones that exist in museums, packed away mm. so that you know nobody gets their hands on it. Uh, and 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 so and and we have to remember that he was doing this at the same time, uh, René Descartes. Was talking about mind and body problems, right? And 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 so he's he's looking at natural sciences. He's he he's he's defending, the, the, which takes he defends the scientific method, and that takes me to something you were talking. We were talking about pre-show with a person who's in quantum, um, uh, studies quantum physics, but then shifts his perspective entirely. But but yeah, scientific method. Uh, and uh, he's, he's, he's a study of fluidics, the study of cones, con- conics, conoids, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and vacuum. And, and then he's going on and, and talking about the idea of what a vacuum is and a space of vacuum. And it's like if, if we ever wanted a, a Tony Stark character, not for his morals and beliefs, but but just the, this kind of iconic pop cultural See, now he's
0: inventing this. Now he's doing that. Here he is. He lived. Yeah. Um, And not for nothing, but he's credited with being the developer of public transportation. (laughs) Right.
1: Uh, 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 Essentially, five pence, five cents, whatever, the equivalent uh, ride for anybody in Paris Hmm. with with little uh, little carriages. Yeah. (laughs) Because he thought people needed uh, a way to get around. And, and you think about think people today talking about, the, oh, well, it can't be done. It can't be done. It would be too expensive. No, oh, gee, kid did it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying that just a young person 400 years ago could do this, 500 years, and you,
0: you can't? That not that embarrassing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Bascale was an exceptional <laughs> <coughs> scientist. Mm-hmm. But, when or why did he begin focusing on philosophy?
1: his sister, partly, <laughs> who uh, had become interested in Catholicism. And this is all very convoluted, but the essence of it is there were branches of Catholicism, of course, or, or um, heretical heretical things going on that some Catholics would say was fine, but it's heretical if it's going against doctrine that others accept. And so there was a group of 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 Catholics called the Jansenists and they w- were essentially this is way oversimplifying, but they were uh, in Pascal's view, uh, they were lowering the bar for people to say, oh, it's okay if you don't have confession all the time. It's okay if you um, you know you, if you have the vices, you, as long as you' you're right with God about the vices, Way too simple, and I admit it. But just to give an example of, and and he thought that that was hypocritical and uh, casu, casuist um, and sophist, which and we've talked about that before, which means people would make any argument they could in order to get people on board with Catholicism. That's what he thought the Jansenists were doing, and so he was writing, very cleverly, he wrote a whole bunch of. Letters from the provinces. That's the, the, the translation for the French, but provincial letters, you know, and, and, and taking the role of a person questioning various people, Jansenists. And, and so it's not unlike the, 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 the Federalist Papers. It's not unlike the, the letters that Alexander Hamilton and so on were doing. Just poking the bear, poking yeah. the bear, and getting a lot of popular uh, following from it. And of course, the church was not happy about it. And they were sending essentially church police out to knock on doors. And we know you're doing this. And meanwhile, he's got there in his house and he's got a, a, a manuscript hidden away. Yeah. <laughs> drying on the bed. Because of course, then you had to do manuscripts when you, when you printed them, the ink had to dry somewhere. And so he's using a specialized kind of ink that would dry faster. And
0: yeah it was really it was this (laughs) huge yeah it was a huge scandal right he had you know it was very time dependent it was the day of he was doing this and yes he was using um fast drying inks and it was being printed at a secret location and you know all of this stuff was going on um but yeah his approach i think reflects um some of some of the genius right because what we were talking about before show um, how, you know, there's some psychological research that indicates intelligence is closely linked with humor, right? right, right. And, and colloquially, we refer to it as wit. And I think that that is a good sort of term because wit encompasses, you know, it, it, it connotes both humor and intelligence, right? And I think in order to get this sort of point across, it would it would be important for that position, right? If you just start publishing anonymous papers railing against the Catholic institution, um yeah, you might have some people that agree with you, but by and large, you know, people are just gonna be like, Oh, what is right, you know, right, this is right. this is uh who
1: who do who do we listen to now? Who who do people I've I've had many when I was teaching, many students tell me toward the end, they get all their news from Colbert and love it and and the, the comedians right right well that's you know <laughs> there's not for nothing hl mencken back in the in the 20th century brilliance satirist wit innocent people
0: listen yeah and so in approach right uh it has a certain effect on the message right and if the message comes across as abrasive it doesn't matter um the merits of the argument it is gonna have a hard time reaching listeners. So, yeah. Pascal, you know, uh, a lot of these were very funny, right? Hey, I'm writing you a long letter because I don't have a time to write the short one. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, you know, presenting a, you know, just yeah. just the case, you know, the, oh, okay, well, uh, a priest can visit a prostitute as long as he takes off his jacket and does these okay. sorts of things. And so, representing some of the issues that that the Catholic church was having in, in a comedic light, um, and really finally, hit a
1: note. With it hit a note, and he and he finally drops the cloak, and he said, "Yeah, I'm writing these after it built up enough popular following, really, that, to, to do that." And 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 he and he was writing his pensa, his thoughts. Well, this, this formidable work, which we have the fragments of, and anyone you can read it. Read uh, it. It's available through the Internet Public Library. No, you know, if, if it's not in your local public library system, um, and it's worth a read because even though it's, it, you might think it disconnected because of it's a fragment here and a fragment there, but even those fragments have a through line and and they give you some idea of what he's thinking. they also could spur a lot of thought in yourself about some of these topics. <laughs> one of the things that he, that he, so it was an incomplete work. So we said, what would he have done if he'd gone on past age 39? He would have finished that. He said it was going to take him 10 years to do this book. Yeah if you think about that and say, okay, here's a guy who's done all these other things, it's going to take 10 years to talk about religion. Mm. Uh, he said all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Yeah. And when you think about, you know, and I'm not extolling all the virtues of Pascal. We're talking about Pascal, but, I, you know, I'm not hero-worshipping here. But, but but these are things that i say. He has points worth discussing. How often do we talk about now... Uh, why don't people? Well, why don't we put our cell phones down for a day? Well, I have an old dear, dear friend in California. We were talking yesterday on the phone. Marvelous thinker, Professor Dad, and and we were talking about many, many things. And and he said that his his daughter at age nine asked him, "Well," Because he's not letting her have a cell phone. And she said, Well, what age were you at when you got to have a cell phone? He said, 42. (laughs) 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 And he said, The look on her face was said, My dear, we didn't have cell phones. There wasn't an internet. There was there was a thing on the wall called a phone, and it had a dial on it (laughs) and later buttons. And if you're lucky it had a a twelve a twelve foot-long cord so you could sit at the, the dining room table or the kitchen table. But you couldn't have a private conversation, and and mostly people traded information on it and gossiped some, and then they hung it up. And if it rang and nobody was home, it just kept ringing. <laughs> he said she was God's back. Yeah, she was just trying to, you know. Um, so I think that this is important. You know what are because Pascal's not the only one who says this, but th- this goes back to the ancients, who uh, some of whom
0: would say, "Are, are you able?"
1: To contemplate in peace. Can you sit and be with yourself?
0: Yeah, and this is uh, this is very interesting. In because you know I've been doing a lot of reading and listening to um, Zen Buddhist things, mm-hmm. right? And that's mm-hmm. essentially the, the the breakdown of that, right? Is you, if you're whether it's a koan or um, you know different different types of meditation, it comes down to Uh, Do you have the ability to empty your mind and and then have this reflection on your place in the universe and the difficulty in doing that, that that some people who practice and become very good for five, seven, 10 years don't have the ability to get to that point? And, um, you know, I, I know just from, you know, personal experience that, you know, just trying to just trying to empty my mind for 20 seconds is a difficult thing, right? Without something popping up and being unable to, to let it pass by, right? having it occupy that space.
1: And, and if it occupies the space, and, and this is what goes on with yogic work, if it occupies the space, well, if it needs to come front and center, you say, come front and center, I'm going to talk to you hmm. in my quiet room. I'm I'm going to contemplate why this is a problem. And the cat can cry and the the horns can honk, but I'm in my room and I'm going to be thinking about this. It is difficult for people. He also said, and I love this, and I will not name names with this bully pulpit that we have, but this is uh, so important at this moment in our history. Pascal said, men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Mm. And this is a man who was a staunch Catholic, yeah. Who's saying a lot of evil is done by people who are in religion and and proselytizing. I think that's very
0: important. Yeah, yeah. You and I were talking before the show about how um, you know the, the danger in religious conviction is a is the development of a fixed versus growth mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Once you once you believe that you have the answers and that the answers don't change, um, it gives you a different perspective on um, society and how you treat people when rather than if you're open to different avenues of of information or the possibility that things (sighs) may change. So I've I've blown apart our entire lesson plan right? <laughs> because we're talking about his biography and you have other questions. So. <laughs> no, I think this is I think this is a good. Uh, I mean, the question was when did he begin focusing on philosophy, and I, I think that we're we're talking about it right. Yeah. We, we yeah. extolled his scientific merits at, at yeah. the beginning, um, and then you know we're we're talking now about um, some of his his philosophical endeavors, which came about when when his wife. Or uh, his sister became a, a nun for a, a more conservative uh, right. Catholic yeah. sect. Yeah. Um, so Pascal was neither a rationalist or an empiricist. Um, do you want to explain to the listeners his, you know, the philosophy of of fetism? Is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Essentially, essentially, and as I always say, this is oversimplification. Just to put the idea on the table, so you can read read some more or ask more questions or talk about it. But, There is an intuitive content, an intuitive process that is vital, according to Pascal. And part of that, when he says, when he says of, I wrote it down here, that the heart has its reasons which reason knows nothing of. We know the truth not only by reason, but by the heart. He wasn't saying, just go off and be blatantly passionate and emotional. He was saying that there, the heart actually offers its own, intuitional logic, ra- a rationality of a different kind, and that if we just blindly, pa- uh, with with high passion and emotion, run off and, and do religious labor, um, and it can be detrimental to, to many. Mm. That that once, once faith. What you have to do is you have to run into the utter wall, and this is to answer your question. You have to run into a wall, and you have to acknowledge the wall and and just go splat the way the coyote does in a Roadrunner cartoon. <laughs> and and that wall is that life is miserable. That the, the people who try to, you know, the, the guys who run around and tell everybody, oh, smile, why aren't you smiling, smile. Uh, uh, Barbara Ehrenreich wrote a book about this uh, with people with, when she had cancer, and they're saying, "Well, why don't you have an upbeat attitude about this and smile?" No, I'm not going to smile. This is not a, a joyous thing. You know, uh, that's a Pascalian kind of hmm. pr- approach to say, you know what? The first thing that is required of people is to quit deluding themselves that the world is wonderful because it isn't. Now, I, this is certainly, I, I and we know it came from his religious thoughts and his, his ability to. Just think so much through things, but he wasn't. He he had much illness. He was he was sick a lot. He died very young, and and so yeah, I, I that must have some effect on your life when you're constantly um, ill and wrestling with that. Yeah, life's miserable. Yeah, and if you don't if you don't admit it, and this is where he gets kind of well didacticism. Really, it's, 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 if you don't admit the basics of life is miserable then you're deluding yourself, and then your, your life is not going to have meaning. That, that if there's a meaning in, in, in the religious life, then it is in acknowledging that we're all miserable, we're all going to be miserable, and we just have to find our way through the misery to believing in something beyond. Which is what Nietzsche later on was railing against about religion.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting um, from a psychological standpoint like, you know, looking at the whole thing, because, you know, in in psychology, there's a lot of emphasis put on, um, childhood experiences and, you know, more generally subjective experiences as a whole in terms of psychological processes. And I think that Pascal is really a, a good example of that, you know, his, his mother died when he was very young. Um, you know, and then his, his father sort of had a roller coaster, of a life, right? He had a, a high position. He sold the position and they were rich yep. and then the 30 years war happening became very poor. And then he worked his way back up into the king, you know? So, yep. and then, like you said, Pascal was sick his, his whole life, right? Has somebody who has been, um, blessed with very good health my whole life. Right. I know that just the, the littlest, most, um, just inconsequential inconveniences in changes in health have a big impact on my, on my mood and my outlook, right? Mm -hmm. If I, if I injure, you know, just, just straining a shoulder or, or a knee or something, and there's this two or three days where I can't do all of the active things that I normally do, that affects my psyche in 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 an important way. So somebody who's very sick their whole lives, right? You have to imagine that's the ecosystem that they're living in. That's, that's the lens through which they're viewing life. And so the the fact that somebody like that would develop this sort of thought um, is not all that surprising. My art teacher is a, is, a, is 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 a, is an expert in Beethoven.
1: She spent her her her, her the majority of her ouvre, her, her ouvre, of her work um yeah. focuses on Beethoven. And Beethoven was a man of of primal faith but uh, horrific things, uh, 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 horrific health, and the losing of the year. Or, we think about uh, that the Chris Hensworth yeah. special again, and the, and the young woman who, uh, she may already be gone from this mm-hmm. plane, because that was months ago, right? But, who was, what, 29? Yeah. She didn't quite expect to get to 30. Um, and uh, And to sit with somebody and ask them how they see life and what they're feeling about life, when you do have the health and so on, it's, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it, you can't avoid that perspective being different.
0: Yeah, and so, and that's the key word, right? Is perspective how people are are viewing life has a large impact on their philosophy, and that's sort of what fetism is about, right? This, like you, we mentioned, Descartes was a contemporary of Pascal, and they actually had some correspondence over various things, uh, you know. Pascal's work on hexagons yeah, and that yeah. sort of stuff. Okay. But, um, you know, Descartes was, was a rationalist. Hey, you know, we can come to knowledge through rational argument. Um, and then empiricism was also, you know, on the scene at that time, which Pascal is a scientist engaged with right this yeah. idea that we can everything there is to know can be known through the senses through experimentation through and um, he says no yeah and he, and, you know <laughs> later on in his life he <laughs> says and and that's the important point is what you're saying is that fetism isn't necessarily um the disregard for rationalism or empiricism no. he obviously possessed those through his scientific work but fetism is that thought that that's not enough, right? right. That's not right. enough to know. It's not enough to know. And this is a man who associated
1: love with intellect. You know, I, I again, I, I sometimes go back to this uh, this um, uh, Japanese ancient concept. I, I talked to a number of my students about it. I've read about it in, in translation in Japanese philosophy, but a thing called kokoro. Kokoro is heart-mind. Heart-mind is one. Hmm. And I think quite probably without having, uh, with the kind of life he had, I don't know, but quite pro- probably not having had uh, a direct contact with that concept. Nonetheless, I think that that's something of what was going on in him. So, so even with God, his search for God, he, he was saying that it, it, it's uh, yeah, happiness isn't inside us, happiness isn't outside of us it's it's it, it's in god god is inside of us and god is outside of us and so this 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 difference with with i think with, with Descartes is the mind body thing um, i think it fascinated pascal too but but if you believe that within you there's this other being <laughs> which was also with, uh, outside of you it's kind of a, a proto Transcendentalism thing to it, go for from, from 200 years later uh, that that uh, that fills the space, so it's as if you're living with something else inside of you, which seems kind of odd to some people, mm-hmm. but I think is what complicates the idea.
0: That, yeah, because you and I were talking about it before the show, right? How. Um, doesn't really remat- matter what religion you look at um they all sort of succumb at a at a lower level to human um human issues mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's it's inevitable because we are human right whether it's christianity or buddhism or whatever it is People are people, so there ends up being gossip, there ends up being conflict, there ends up being controversy and, you know, conspiracy and these sorts of things. Um, but all of those things, you know, don't invalidate the idea of this in- intuitive um, sort of knowledge, right? Which is what we were talking about beforehand is even if you strip away any sort of religious overtones, right. um, you meet people throughout your life that you go this person has something about them that is worthwhile the the way that they deal with life the way that they deal with people um they have they know something that i want to know right and i think that that's that's sort of that i think that that concept kind of encapsulates it a little bit right there's you know, could you create a rational reason for it? Yeah, maybe. You know, could you develop an experiment for why it's the case? Maybe. Um, but the fact is, you didn't do those things, right? <laughs> you, you, you could do them retroactively, but initially, there's some in- intuition that there's something inside of you that has um, an uh, ideal or platonic ideal yeah. of yeah. how to be a, a human, and you're, go- and you're not, and you're not going to utterly achieve it. You're not going right. to get to it. And that's what
1: Pascal was saying. You know, no, you can come to terms with this The, the heart, he called it a heart-shaped vacuum. Hmm. Uh, God is a heart-shaped vacuum. And and you either uh, come to terms with uh, seeking to have God fill that or not. But it's not then go out and pro- tell other people, it's, 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 And so, live your life toward that thing that you hope, when whatever transference happens, you don't know what's going to happen. Pascal is saying, we don't know what happens after death. Hmm. None of us knows what happens after death. No religion knows for certain what happens after death that convince themselves the, 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 go to the books, and well the books say? Okay, well, books say lots of things. So, I think Pascal is dealing with that and saying, but if you live toward this, um, that's the only thing that can sustain you in all the misery. First, if you come to terms with the honesty that, that life is miserable. And this is the part where I have trouble with Pascal, but again, I see him a lot because of the shortness and the sickness and everything. If life is always miserable then this isn't your, what do you want to hang around here for well you have to hang around here because you're having experiences that are then leading you toward God you know and that then that tends toward that well there's a God will and Pascal was fighting against this too though. it's, it's uh, well uh God takes uh somebody from my from my life okay God it, it was time for you to take because that's what's determined that's what you're now, Pascal was not a strict determinist either, I, from what I can yeah. mean. Um, but it's but it's, there's never a completion. And this is why we end up with Pascal's Wager, which is sometimes, and the book pointed this out, people make a little bit too much of.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, very interesting points, and very interesting things you just said. I especially like… Um, that God is a heart-shaped vacuum, especially because of his work with vacuums, right? Yeah. And how yeah. he's railing against Aristotle and and others who said that nature abhors a vacuum, right? Yeah. Well, the symbolism is there, right? And that flows through a lot of his work, right? And I think that's what gives him some enduring value is that as a scientist and as a philosopher, I think that he, you know, he was always attempting to honestly – Integrate those two in a way that spoke to a deeper human experience, yeah. regardless yeah. of whether or not you view them as ex- successful. I think that intent was always there. Um, so that leads us right into the next question, which was um, what are some of the important highlights of Pascal's work in literature and philosophy? And we've talked about quite a few of them thus far, but not the big one yet. Right? So <laughs> tell us about Pascal's Wager. Pascal's Wager is. He, he, he essentially
1: as as the the book Why We Are Restless. I, I think the the, the writers make a good point about this. It this is not the beginning spot for Pascal. This is like the the capper, mm. the the uh, ending thought that he would offer to people. uh beca- and but this needs to be said in preface to that. He 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 did not think. That a pursuit of God was about knowledge, primarily. If if it were about knowledge, your, your mind would benefit from the, the perfect clarity of God, but it wouldn't get you there. What what you had to have was the will. Oh. Um, and I, I believe as I remember that the book says something about, well, this is like exercising when you 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 you, you don't get to be uh, in the shape for instance that you are or, or or your wife is by just saying I want to be no you do it and maybe it, it's not easy to do the exercise all the time but then you do it and and then then you get there it's where there's a will there's a way right so so it's it's about will it's not about knowledge uh, in and of itself it's about the will toward it so he's saying the, the wager would be in with such a short life that we live relative to the universe. Um, if you lived as if you believed in God, this is where it takes him really close to the Jansenist, right? <laughs> if you lived as if you believed and you did the things that you would do, then you've willed yourself toward that so that you actually just start habituating and 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 doing that. And um and wouldn't it be better to do that and achieve whatever there is to be achieved with God at the other end of things, the other side of things, than to just throw it all away and say, no, nope, don't believe any of it, and then pay the consequences afterward. <laughs> I think it's a cheap tactic. <laughs> I, really, I, I have always thought that, was a, that it was sort of a showman's tactic. Hey, but he's a probabilistic person. Right, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 if, if if there's even a a probabilistic uh existence of God, then maybe you should live with the will toward God. What he doesn't say is all the specifics, because he's not doing that. He's mm. not saying, here's the chapter and verse of how everything you ought to do in order to get to heaven.
0: And that's where the danger in the position lies, yeah. right? Yeah. Because um, you know, living as if there is a God or even belief that there is a God and therefore the life that 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 comes from that that can be all well and good if the principles that are espoused uh, um, subscribe to a universal conception of virtue or ethics. But the problem is that that doesn't exist in reality, right? So any any conception you have of a universal ethical code or virtue. Um, has the potential to be used against you in a certain way. So, you know, so saying, well, yeah, live a virtuous life. Yeah. And then if there is a God, you're rewarded. Well, it depends on which God's at the end of that road, right? right. Because, you know, there's a, a lot of people who are doing things today in the name of God and in the name of religion, um, that are harming a lot of people. Yes. Um, and so. And he spoke about that. The, yeah. The, the other thing I said to so it's not. It's not about doing that,
1: and that's and it's important that you're you're pointing this out because it's not about uh, do X, Y, and Z, and you're going to achieve this. It's a live with the will toward the possibility, and even if there's nothing, you have lived your your miserable life better.
0: (laughs) And yeah, and that's and so (laughs) and this is where it gets really complex, right? Is because that's it sounds very much like a rational argument, right? The probabilistic statement <laughs> of a rational argument. But that's what he was against, because that's what yep. Descartes was. So Descartes was saying, well, I can establish a rational explanation that there must be a God, right? And Pascal was saying, no, that's not the point. He's saying it's, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. And this is
1: he, You know, the, uh, there are, there are people, I think Eleanor Roosevelt was one. Uh, if, if I'm, I might be apocryphal about this, but it's saying it's important to keep two opposite ideas in your mind at the same time. More than one person has said, okay, this is a, a chunk of coal, but I want us to hear it. and we stop at any point and talk about this. I think it's, it's, it's right on point with what we're saying. Pascal wrote, it is dangerous to explain too clearly to man how like he is to the animals without pointing out his greatness. It is also dangerous to make too much of his greatness without his vileness. Hmm. It is still more dangerous to leave him in ignorance of both the vileness and the greatness, but it is most valuable to represent both to him. Man must not be allowed to believe that he is equal either to animals or to angels, nor to be unaware of either. He must know both. So he's asking for a lot, and I think if a lot more people, uh, if we, if we, if we did this more honestly, and I'm not talking about getting religion, I'm
0: just talking about. No, I good. think what you're talking about is a state of mind that anybody who has engaged with philosophy or is a polymath comes to know, right? Which is humility. You know the. The more things that you come to understand and the more ideas you engage with and the more you identify the complexity in every idea and the merits and the drawbacks of every idea, the more um, murky and indistinct reality becomes in some ways. Yes. And that's what keeps you level, right? Just not engaging with anything isn't good. Engaging with... You know, thinking you know all the answers isn't good, saying that there are no answers isn't good. You have to engage with the ideas and know that there's answers and know that in some ways you're special and in some ways you're insignificant. And have all of that knowledge in your head when you're approaching new conceptions. And it's, it's a very difficult and humbling thing. It is. Yeah, so it's not like being
1: about being great. Right, all the time. It's it's not about it, it. And it is about coming to terms with our own vileness, which is what a lot of our history has been about. If we would mm-hmm. just not not beat ourselves up about it, but to say, "Yes, we've done this. This was wrong." But our culture doesn't have the capacity yet to do that. Mm-hmm. We haven't reached a pascalian balance, and 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 whether that is a religious or a spiritual balance or not, I think it's it's easy it's easy enough to see how it could lead to that it could lead to meditative value it could lead to the humility you're, you're talking about and I, that, that, for me that's what's value what's useful in it yeah it's to remind us so as you just said we're murky we're muddy we're we're made of lots of elements and we have so much potential but we also have well, both to do awfulness and and to do good and it's all in us, and we aren't just one way. There aren't good guys and bad guys.
0: Yeah, there are people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So obviously Pascal's philosophy influenced his scientific work. Um, so how do you do you view him as as integrating the two or sort of siloing the two in in a lot of his thought? Uh, in reading.
1: The translations of, of his writing over the years. I think I would go toward this seeming siloing mm-hmm. of it, because we, you know, we just ran through that that quick biography, which you know, a, a zippity do biography doesn't doesn't accommodate complexity, does it? <laughs> but. Uh, so, oh, well, first he did this, then he invented calculators, yeah, but he was a person with we just talked about the complexity, so he probably was still thinking about other things when he was doing the calculators and it. No, nonetheless, I think that the the siloing okay geometry and and economics and probabilistic theory and and vacuums, okay, but then there's um a fusion, what all of those leads him to. Think, thoughts, pense, about humanity. Um, We are creatures who can create calculators. We are creatures who can create 30-year wars. Mm. We are creatures who serve in the National Guard and kill people. Um, Humanity is all of these things. (laughs) And, and I think that the siloed science, um, economics, the studies, separate studies, lead to that um, integration.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that that's sort of, I think it's reflected, obviously, right? None of us can actually silo anything, right? We're, we're all influenced no. by different areas, but I think that it's to a degree with certain people and with certain concepts and I think that I think that is demonstrated by Pascal's life right because he he didn't care about religion before his sister's conversion and then there was a turning point before the end of his life I can't remember if his sister died before him or something took place where (laughs) the last years of his life um he sort of disengaged with religion to some extent and started looking back at scientific things again. So yeah. um, Yeah. So I think that there was, there was a bit of a siloing going on Um, as as much as we can, as you said, we're not. Yeah. So in light of that, do you think that would still be the case if he were living today with, with the advancements we've made in science and with, the global um, societal context within which we live what do you think his his thoughts would be like on the state of things on the state of things
1: um, well I think I think he'd be a I think he'd be appalled probably and giddy with the fascination of what we have found out and and. Uh, paralyzingly appalled at what we've done with it. Uh, it. That's that's what strikes me because I don't think uh, there's no reason to think that uh, the humanity has abandoned misery. <laughs> and if you thought the world was miserable then, I think it's clear that the world is be, is miserable now uh, from a Pascalian viewpoint. So I don't think that that would change. Uh, I, I <laughs> You know, when he said, each man is everything to himself, for with his death, everything is dead for him. This is why each of us thinks he's everything to everyone. We know, we, he, he, it's easy enough to see in, in culture, uh, voices that say this about themselves. We must not judge nature by ourselves, but by its own standards. Uh, I think he would say, look, uh, the world isn't going to adjust to us The climate thing, I think he'd be talking a lot about that. He'd be saying that nature's all standards are, you've done this to nature. This is how nature is going to be. How are you going to adjust to it? I think he'd be one of those voices that says, we're not not stopping the climate crisis.
0: Yeah. We have to figure
1: out our way through this misery.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting um, to think about, especially because one of his scientific background but also you know his philosophical background with the advancements that have been made what his thoughts would be yeah it would be fascinating but yeah i think that um it's a great question yeah it's uh you know he he never you know he never abandoned the scientific pursuit of things and so i think no. with with in light of the advances that have been made um yeah, I don't I'm not sure. I'm not sure what what is his view would be, but we run heedlessly into the abyss
1: after putting something in front of us to stop us seeing it. Hmm. the abyss right? We run toward the abyss and we say, oh, look, it's as much as say one of that car- that cartoon where it's a squirrel. Right. <laughs> We're headed toward disaster. Because after all, we're miserable. <laughs> but oh, look! Let's be distracted for just a moment. This will save us. Nope, <laughs> we break through it, and we're we're right into the abyss. I don't think that that viewpoint would change
0: given our circumstances. Yeah, he might not be too surprised at, <laughs> at where we're at at all. No, I think not. So this has been a good discussion. Um, you know, we've we've set out what we established to do, which was looking at Montaigne, right? And 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 his life and the merits of his work. Now we've looked at Pascal and his life and the merits of his work. And, um, what listeners are probably noticing at this point is that the two are, are very, um, opposed in their. Yes. Well,
1: says, uh just live as quietly as you can. Uh, take what comes in, in life, uh, nurture yourself. It's not bad. It's, you know, uh don't worry, be happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: and, um, and, and because you're, you're not going to fix everything. Um, and it's better to just, you know, live your life and take life as it
0: is. Mm. And Pascal wasn't so happy about that. No, no, no. So, next time we get together, we'll uh, examine the two philosophies and see uh, what comes out of it. But until next time, keep